Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. This time looking at Mid-South Wrestling Television from March 5th, 1983, as taped on March 2nd, 1983, at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. Your host this week, Boyd Pierce and Cowboy Bill Watts, and of course, I am the great Brian Lash, and joining me this week like he does each and every week, your friend and mine from Booking the Territory, Mike Mills. Mike, big exciting time in Mid-South Wrestling. A lot of things are going to start coming to a head the next few weeks. Yeah, we've been dealing with a certain situation with Mr. Wrestling 2, and I got to say, we're, that, that situation, I sound like JR. JR used to always say that. We got a situation going on here. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like that situation in itself is coming to a head, and we are going to get, I guess you can call it a payoff, or we will see what the hell is going on with Mr. Wrestling 2. So lots going on here. Bill Watts at the top of the show has got an announcement he's going to make about some things. And uh, yeah, really good show. These next two weeks, I'm thinking more of the next week, but these next few weeks, man, are uh, real good, you know, and that's uh, the pattern we've fallen into. And I want to say something else, too, about that. We talk about it sometimes how, you know, we have those ups and then we come down the roller coaster and we go back up i think we're going back up the roller coaster right now and, and getting into a time where we're, we're going to get to like a peak where a lot of stuff is kind of happening on these shows well next week's show is going to be a big show but we have to get there first let's go to the show open this week boyd pierce and cowboy bill watts mike you said it bill watts has some announcements but also we're going to get some audio from a video that aired in lake charles louisiana on the news of junkyard dog going to is it DeRitter, Louisiana, Mike? That's how I say it. I, I've, honestly, I don't know anybody from there, but I, that's how I've always pronounced it. Well, let's go to this audio right now. We have a lot of excitement coming up. The Black Ninja is here on this week's card. Also, Ted DiBiase will be wrestling. A formidable tag team duo that I know you're going to like. One of the greatest ever to come to the Mid-South area. Mr. Wrestling 2 joining forces with Tiger Conway Jr., also, Mr. Olympia returns, and he'll take on the rugged Matt Bourne. A lot of excitement, a lot of things to tell you about it, and a man to explain it, no one better than our guest commentator, Cowboy Bill Watts. Well, thank you, boy. It's great to be here tonight, and I think the big news is uh, welcome back, Mr. Olympia. The guy was a tr- top star of Mid-South Wrestling, a great star. He sacrificed himself, so to speak, when Mr. Wrestling 2 was injured and took his place in a match with Stagger Lee and was a victim of the Rat Pack. But he's back, and he may give the Rat Pack their own pack attack. The big news again is March 21st, downtown New Orleans, will be a one-night tournament for the North American title. Stagger Lee's mysterious disappearance has caused the North American title for the first time in its history to be in limbo. And they're going to have a one-night tournament. A lot of big names already signing up for that. Tito Santana that people watch out of Atlanta, Super Destroyer. Uh, Of course, Mr. Olympia has put his name in the hat. Many others. As as it gets closer, we'll certainly have more top stars filling in. A great star, probably the greatest star ever in Mid-South. A man that a lot of people get to see in the ring, don't often get to visit with, but a very personable young man. I'm proud to call him a friend. The Junkyard Dog. You know, these guys have a tremendously busy busy schedule. We get a lot of letters at Mid-South asking that the dog and the different stars can drop by and visit them. I know we got a nice letter from a kindergarten teacher in Lecompte and different places. These guys' schedules are so busy, they'd like to have the time to do it. Well, the Junkyard Dog found time on February 10th to go to DeRitter and visit a school there. And when word got out in that town, they had Junkyard Dog Day, and I'll tell you, it was great. 
The mayor, Creighton Pugh, gave the dog a key to the city. Representative Eldridge Morris gave him the pelican, the state bird, on a lapel clip. The dog really enjoyed it, and the people enjoyed it. And thanks to Channel 7, that's KPLC at Channel 7 in Lake Charles, Louisiana, we have some of their file footage from their news. Let's watch that now. The Junkyard Dog, one of the most popular wrestling figures in southwest Louisiana. The dog made a special appearance at Eastside Upper Elementary in DeRitter. Vicki Dixon, coordinator of the event, says the visit stressed to students the importance of education. And let them know that even someone they admire, like a wrestler, has an education. After walking through classrooms and signing autographs, he spoke to a group of special education students. The dog had a wrestling match in Mississippi Wednesday evening, and after the school visit, proceeds to Lake Charles, where another match is scheduled. Despite his busy agenda, he still tries to fit in school visits whenever possible. And it's just more or less everyday thing. A lot of time I get out and do this thing, you know. A lot of people don't have, never take the opportunity to go out and, you know, get fame and stuff, uh, get very well known, and they forget about the way that they grew up. And a lot of time I like to go back in schools and, and visit. Between matches, the junkyard dog says he will continue to spread the word that school and education are the most important things a child can experience. Robert White, 7 News, DeRitter. Well, I'm sure everybody in DeRitter enjoyed the dog's visit. I know he enjoyed it. He was beaming when he came back. This is the kind of guy he is. He loves to help others. He loves children. And his schedule permitting, he, he, he makes these surprise visits. He and Jack Curtis, who you saw there with him, we'll be back with more action after these words from Mid-South. Well, there you hear it, Mike. Bill Watts talks a little bit about the upcoming North American title tournament in New Orleans on March 21st. But the main event here, the Junkyard Dog going to a school in DeRitter, Louisiana. Mike, how big a deal would it have been if he had showed up in your school? <laughs> well, first you read my mind because as a kid when I saw this, my immediate reaction when this aired was, damn, why didn't he come to my school? Now, as a kid, you don't understand just how many schools there are in, you know, the state of Louisiana alone. But that it would have been huge. I mean, we talked a long time ago, you and I, about the poll that they did in Louisiana, you know, back in the day where it was Pete Maravich, Archie Manning, JYD and who was the most popular. And JYD became, the, you know, he was the most popular in that poll uh, athlete. Well, I mean, this is equivalent to today with somebody like Drew Brees showing up at your school. And I know Brees, it, athletes do it a lot more now than I think they did back then. But, you know, Brees always shows up at, at some of the schools in the New Orleans area from what I can see. And I mean, this is the equivalent of that. I mean, it's, this would have been your, you know, major athlete, major star in the area showing up and saying hello to the kids. And it, would, it was a big thing. And yeah, if he would have showed up at my school, I would have been ecstatic. I mean, he made... These kids that got to meet him and see him up close and personal like that back in the day when you just didn't get to see wrestlers up close and personal like that. I mean, these, he made these kids year, man. They, they were ecstatic. I mean, the kids that they showed, believe me, every last one of those kids probably in that school watched Mid-South Wrestling. No doubt in my mind, that's how popular Mid-South Wrestling was. And I mean, you had you may have had a few people who didn't. But, you know, I remember being in school during this time period at this age. That's all we talked about on the school playground. Oh, man, you see what the dog did, you know? And it was like, if you missed it, it was like, oh, you shouldn't have missed it. You know, you should have saw what he did. And I mean, it was just a popular thing. We all talked about it. It was a major sport to us, just as much as football or basketball. And the dog was that major star. And he made these kids year when he showed up at their school. Well, coming out of that, we get some more audio from Bill Watts because we have some more news, another update about the harassment of Mr. Wrestling 2 
And then coming out of this, we're going to get a couple recaps. We'll tell you about them in a second, but let's hear this audio first. Mr. Wrestling 2 has been a top superstar for many years in professional wrestling. A man of pride, a man of mystery, a man that protects his identity, is proud of his spirit, his heart, his courage. But, you know, I guess, Boyd, even little things that could seemingly in another setting be rather comical can be oftentimes very disconcerting or very sinister. Like, I guess, uh, the Chinese water torture or the Russian water, water torture. You know, you think just about a faucet dripping, that that shouldn't drive anybody crazy. But if you're isolated and that dripping's in the middle of your forehead, they've driven people completely crazy. Well, somebody has been putting this kind of pressure on wrestling, too. And when we got here today, Oral Link had said when he arrived and was setting up the television cameras, there was another symbolical hanging of Mr. Wrestling, too. We'll look at that right now as Director Oral Link pre-taped some of it before all the fans got in. And this is a type of sinister situation that we're viewing right now that has been going on. And last December the 8th, it kind of came to a head. I think most people had thought that Kamala and Akbar were taking off masks for one reason and one reason only, to unmask Stagger Lee. But then it seemed that his exuberance for collecting those coups and putting on his spear overflowed and he was going to get Mr. Wrestling 2's mask. And I think with the pressure, Wrestling 2 immediately thought that Skandar Akbar was the guy that was doing the different symbolical defamations of his wrestling gear. And it all boiled over and exploded on that December the 8th with a long-lasting effect in that Wrestling 2 and Stagger Lee were scheduled to wrestle Matt Bourne and Ted DiBiase for the Mid-South Tag Titles, loser of the fall to leave town. Wrestling 2 was injured in, an in, in, a, in the melee with Kamala, and Mr. Olympia had to take his place. Let's relive that moment because it's very important today. Well, there you hear it, Mike. A little more audio about the harassment of Mr. Wrestling 2, including an amazing image of a one-legged doll with a Mr. Wrestling 2 mask being hanged from the rope. It's a really funny image. And then we get a recap of things we saw in December. The Kamala and Mr. Wrestling 2 confrontation leading into the Loser Leaves Town match. Olympia and Stagger Lee versus Matt Bourne and Ted DiBiase. Any notes about all this and how Watts is threading everything together? No, he's just trying to recap and kind of, I mean, you got to realize this story's been going on for a while. So I applaud Watts here taking a few minutes at the very top of the episode. Kind of just, you know, weaving everything together, giving a little bit of a recap, you know, showing what happened December 18th of 82 when two was attacked and injured by Kamala and Akbar's, you know, crew. And then Stagger Lee and Olympia made the save. And then I agree with you on the doll. Uh, if you remember, that's that. I think that's the same doll that was in the shoebox we saw uh, a couple weeks back. So I, I'm not 100% certain, but I think it was. But you're right. They show an image of this. I called it a the old those old G.I. Joe sized dolls. And it's literally hanging from the rope. It's the imagery of it is so low budget, but so great all at the same time. You got to go see it if you've got the, if you've got the network and you can watch it and have access to it. It's really good stuff. But no, I just like watch right here, recapping everything and kind of tying it all together and, you know, kind of repeating why we're where we're at now. They show the recap videos and also they're from the 1982 year in review episode. So you don't just get the recaps of those moments on the shows. You also get Bill Watts from that show and his cowboy hat recapping everything. But coming out of all this, we get Bill Watts about the return of Mr. Olympia 
And of course, Mr. Olympia, probably best known in Mid-South Wrestling, Mike, for being Junkyard Dog's tag team partner. So Bill Watts talks a little bit about the problems JYD has had in the past with tag team partners. Let's hear this. Well, Mr. Olympia's time is up, and he's back. He comes back today. He's a former Mississippi heavyweight champion, former one half of the Mid-South Tag Team Championships. As a matter of fact, when Mike George was injured, it seemed like being the partner of the Junkyard Dog, you had a short history. It seemed like you became a marked man. Dick Murdoch had just been injured and sent to Japan, and he'd been the dog's partner. And Mr. Olympia came, put out his hands, and said, I'll be your partner to the bitter end. And he was. And even when the dog was gone and Stagger Lee was here, when Mr. Wrestling 2 got hurt, he showed the kind of heart he had. He went out and took Mr. Wrestling's two place. It cost him a vacation, a hard, unearning vacation. But he's back. We'll see him later after these words from Mid-South Wrestling. So again, start this show, a lot going on. Mr. Olympia has returned. They recap the events that led to him having to leave Mid-South Wrestling. And of course, the harassment of Mr. Wrestling 2 continues. And it's coming out of that, Mike, we get our next match. The Black Ninja, Kendo Nagasaki versus Jerry Caldwell, a newcomer here to Mid-South Wrestling with Alfred Neely as the referee. A couple of notes here. The ring announcer, Jack Curtis Jr., Reeser Bowden, on vacation once again. His second vacation, I guess, one in the summer, one in the winter, right? I would think so. That's what appears to be happening. I kind of miss him when he's not here because we don't get the smirks and, uh, you know, all his little quirks that he does. But eh, I guess he must be on vacation. Well, plus Jack Curtis, it's a weird... The last time he did ring announcing, I actually liked him. But this time, sometimes he announces the town you're from, sometimes he doesn't. He doesn't announce anyone's weight. So he'll just say... Here in this corner, Omaha, Nebraska, Ted DiBiase and his opponent, Jerry Caldwell. Like, he just rushes through it, doesn't give any information. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> you can't get everything you want, obviously, with him, but I liked him. I agree, he was a little bit better last time, but he, he's still good. He's a, he, let me say this, he's a good fill-in. As this show starts, this is the first match on this show. The fans are pretty quiet. They're not really reacting to Kendo Nagasaki. And also, at this point... There are no fans on the side of the ring, that side shot where sometimes it's filled up like it was for the Louisiana State Fair, and sometimes there's no one there at all. Here at the start of the show, there's no one there. Mike, any thoughts or notes about the match? To the point you made, no one is on the side. Uh, that'll, that'll change in the coming months, as, as I recall. It's definitely empty during this time period. And you're right. I don't know if the fans, I don't know if they really know how to take Kendo at this point. You know, he does a little ceremonial thing. He's got all that gear and garb on. And I just, I just don't know if the fans really know how to take him at this stage. It's, it's kind of weird in a way. Well, again, I think it's still a little bit of we saw Kabuki, and then he's gone, and all of a sudden this guy's here doing his gimmick. When you brought that up, we were talking about last week. I, we stopped for a second. I, I think that might have something to do with it. Because, again, you, I think you even said it, or we both did, he kind of comes off as a bit of a kabuki ripoff. Whether whether he is or not is debatable in one's eyes, depending on who you saw first. But I agree, he he kind of comes off as a kabuki ripoff. Kendo Nagasaki pins Jerry Caldwell after a thrust kick, and then we get our next match: Ted DiBiase versus Ron Ellis with Rick Ferreira as the referee. For the first time, maybe ever, Rick Ferreira is wearing a real referee shirt, not his Rick Ferreira shirt. But the referees are all wearing the same uniform here on this television taping. We'll play a little bit of audio here for a second, Mike. We saw Jerry Caldwell in the last match. And here we see Ron Ellis. We've never seen these guys here before. Let's hear what Bill Watts has to say about that. 
Well, I don't know where matchmaker Grizzly Smith finds some of these guys, but you've got to give them a chance. You know, uh, there's been some occasions here, Boyd Pierce, when you and I have been watching that there's been a relative newcomer that's come over seemingly to be fed to the Lions, so to speak, that has exploded and caught everybody's attention. And uh, it often seems like these men are outgunned and outmanned, and on appearances, I don't think this guy can hold up to a DiBiase, as could Caldwell not hold up to the Black Ninja. But you never know when you're going to find that diamond in the rough. And speaking of diamond in the rough, Don Diamond was one of those situations that we had here a couple of years ago that really exploded on TV. Well, there you hear it, Mike, almost on cue. As the listeners are thinking, who are these guys? Bill Watts explains, I don't know where Grizzly Smith finds these guys. But gives you a little bit of a plausible reason why these new guys are there and why you shouldn't just give up on them. You shouldn't just say, oh, I don't know this guy, he's going to lose. Well, you know, again, it goes back to when a couple of times they put these guys against each other. And Watts has even said during those matches, we put these preliminary guys in there against each other to see the cream rise to the top. He didn't use those exact words, but it's kind of where he was going with it. So, yeah, I mean, we see these guys and I got to be honest, Ron Ellis isn't too bad. Jerry Caldwell wasn't too bad. When I say too bad, I mean, it's relatively speaking. We got a match coming up up next where, oh, dear God, that guy. Yeah, I don't want to put the fuck <laughs> for the horse, but when we get to that, it's just, what the hell? I mean, what the hell are we watching? But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to say that as you're, because t- because we're talking about preliminary talent and these, these enhancement talent guys, but, you know, this Ryan Ellis guy isn't nowhere near as bad as what we're about to talk about. During this match, Mike, the fans start filling in the side of the ring. They start filling in those seats. It's weird. It's like all of a sudden you watch it and you actually just see them start getting ushered in. I don't know where they were. I don't know why they were there at the start of the taping, but a whole bunch of fans end up filling up that side during the match. Did you notice that? I did, and they start filling in. And here's the other thing. I don't think these people are all together. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to say I know that for a fact, but you've got white folks, you got black folks. I mean, you got young, you got old. It's, it's a mix of people that are filing in. And I'm wondering if they were just kind of standing around, around the bleachers, and we just can't see it from a TV angle. But you're right, man. They start putting one, two, three. I don't even. I don't think they got to the fourth row, but they start putting a couple of rows of chairs out to fill in, the, so that folks will have a place to sit. So yeah, you'll start to see that fill in uh, in the middle of this episode. By the time we get to like '84 and '85, man, that, that left side is like I can't. Remember, I don't think they had bleachers there. Now I'm now I'm second guessing myself, but oh my god, it w- it was really packed in. It turned into a club in Irish McNeil. Well, plus it looked fuller because they had the flags above them. By that point. That's a good point. Yeah, you didn't have that empty space up there. Yeah, now it's just black. It's black, empty space. You don't see anything. You can't see what's on the walls. You can't see if there are walls. It's just... Right. It almost looks like a studio, even though you know it's the Irish McNeil Boys Club. It has that studio look where you can't see anything behind them. That's true. That's true. It's a, it's a void back there because it's, it's so dark. There's no lighting. Ted DiBiase wins with the figure four. Any other thoughts or notes about this match? I had the exact same note. Um, hits a power slam and then a figure four and he beats Ron Ellis and then we go to something I want to talk about. Mr. Wrestling 2 and Tiger Conway Jr., a new tag team here in Mid-South versus Kelly Kaniski and Ron Kessler with Alfred Neely as the referee. Before you say anything, my couple notes. Bill Watts mentioned some upcoming things that we're going to be seeing on Mid-South TV, including in three weeks, Midgets. Super Destroyer, King Kong Bundy, and Killer Brooks are all coming in. And next week, Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne, the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions, versus the tag team we're watching right here, Mr. Wrestling 2 and Tiger Conway Jr. 
I have a little bit of audio. Do you want to talk about Ron Kessler or do you want to play the audio first? I'm going to let you make the decision. Okay, I want to play the audio, but I need to say one thing about something Watts said. He says, he said, he proudly yells, we'll have midgets. It, <laughs> it was just the way he said it. I was like, I don't know if you could get away with the way he said that. Like, if you could say it like he said it back then. So just had to make quick mention of that before you play that other audio you're going to go to. Well, let's play this audio because this is Bill Watts talking about Mr. Wrestling 2, the situation with his stalker and how, just like he said earlier, we're now kind of being told that the stalker absolutely had nothing to do with Skandar Akbar, which is interesting here. And also a little bit about someone who's going to be coming in the Mid-South soon named Hacksaw Bruce Reed. Let's hear this audio. He's getting a slow boil. I'll tell you, it's really starting to stick in his craw, these things, these these challenges. He considers them so cowardly. This man who's never dodged any issue, he's never been one that lets you worry about what he felt. He'd tell you right up front, I want you to know. He'd tell you whether he liked you or didn't like you. And he'd tell you if he's going to battle you. There was never anything deceptive or sneaky about him. And I think this guerrilla-type warfare, this subversive uh, terrorist-type activity against Wrestling 2, it is the most despicable kind of thing. It, it's the unknown or the the fear imposed by what kind of nut it is that's doing it. And, and two has offered rewards. He's done many things to try to smoke them out. But so far, it's still uh, quite a mystery. He thought he had found the answer when he attacked Skandar Akbar. It almost cost him some severe pain and agony when Kamala got geared back in on him. And wrestling, too, is not through with the Kamala situation. But apparently, as is, is devious in, in this flat honry and involved in everything as, as Skandar Akbar was, it's not Skandar Akbar that's doing this to wrestling too. Akbar kind of, even with his rottenness and everything, he more or less buys people to do his bidding. Uh, you pretty well know pretty quick and out front whether he's after on your trail or not. Tiger Conway showing those high-flying moves. Great ability, this young man. Another superstar is on its way to Mid-South Wrestling, Hacksaw Reed, Hacksaw Bruce Reed. And uh, we had an explosion when we were talking about that, Grizzly Smith and I, when one Hacksaw Dugan said there is only one Hacksaw in Mid-South Wrestling, and there will be only one Hacksaw in Mid-South Wrestling, and you're looking at him. And so I just don't know. That could be an explosion the minute it happens. Well, there you hear it, Mike. The very first mention on Mid-South Wrestling Television of Hacksaw Butch Reed. Of course, Hacksaw Bruce Reed here, his real name, who would become one of the big stars of Mid-South Wrestling in the next several years. But let's talk about the main event here. Ron Kessler. In my notes, I wrote, Kessler can't work. And then shortly after I wrote that, I wrote, Kessler can't take a slam. And by the way, maybe it's Tiger Conway's fault for going for that slam several times. But tell me your thoughts of Ron Kessler. This guy's clueless, man. I don't know. You know, we talked about Hacksaw Higgins and the whole thing with One Man Gang that time and the story he told and Paul Orndorff slapping the hell out of him up in the, the dressing room. This guy is kind of equivalent to like Hacksaw Higgins in a way. I mean, he doesn't. One, the first thing he does when he comes in, he has no clue how to hit the ropes. He almost falls through it. 
Bill Watts did a phenomenal job of covering that because Watts says something like, oh, he 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 tried to avoid two uh, coming off the ropes. No, he just damn near fell straight through the first and second rope or the top and middle rope on, on that move. He just goes in and damn near goes through it. So that's the first thing. The damn slams from Tiger Conway Jr. That guy went up like, oh, he didn't even go up. He was just like a wet sack of potatoes. Yeah. Just, just stood there and waited for Tiger Conway to muscle him up. And I'm like, dude, okay, so that's one time. And then Tiger Conway goes for it a second time, exact same result. And Tiger Conway kind of stops and looks at him like, dude, you don't have a clue, do you? And then they do some kind of maneuver where he pins him, he flips him over his back or something, and he pins him. But this guy, he was clueless. He He's right up there with some of the, the couple of, of enhancement talents that we've seen that have been clueless, like the Hacksaw Higgins. Uh, I want to say there was somebody else. I'm, I'm, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, though. That was just, we looked at the guy and was like, what are they doing in the ring? I mean, I don't, I'm wondering if this guy, like, had he been training for a week or two? What? He just had no clue, Brian. What were your thoughts? No, he didn't know how to, I mean, the slam was the big thing. Because you watch him in the ring, he doesn't know what he's doing. You're like, okay, well, you know, he's just out of wrestling school or something. He doesn't know what he's doing. But to not know how to post for a slam, to not know how to go up for a slam, to not know how to do anything but stand there and let the guy try to power you up, and Conway doesn't know what to do. Because he tries it the first time, nothing. And then he's like, all right, maybe this guy's new, I'll try it again. Nothing. And then you can see the look on his face like, what the hell am I working with? Yeah. That is... <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just that. It was, it was even his bumps. He didn't even bump. Like, when he would get hit... He would just jump up in the air and land flat on his rear end. No, he did Marion Crumley type bumps where you hit him and no matter what, he pops up in the air and, and like, it was like exaggerated. It's almost as if this guy showed up. I don't know who booked the undercard talent because it's all new guys this week, but he showed up, told them he had been a wrestler, had never actually done it before. That's what it seemed like to me. I agree. He had no clue, no clue whatsoever. He ends up getting pinned, but this guy was completely lost in that ring, didn't have a clue. And if he probably was in there with anybody else who would gotten would have gotten frustrated with him and really would have started laying it in, he might have got hurt because he just was clueless. He had no idea what he was doing. And Tiger Conway's like, dude, what the hell? I mean, he at one point after that second slam, he stands there and is like, what is this? Where is this? This must be Bizarro World. Anyway, they end up winning. They being uh, wrestling two and Tiger Conway. Well, here's the bigger question for you. What did you write down at the finish? Because in my notes, I wrote Tiger Conway pins Kessler via question mark. I didn't know what to call that move. I don't know what to call it either. It was like he 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 basically kind of flipped them over. I don't even know how to describe it, man. He he basically like it's almost like a fireman carry, but it wasn't because a fireman carry would be from the side. He just did it from the front and then just flipped them over and then just went down and pinned them, and that was it. I it I've. Don't know if I've ever seen that used definitely as a finisher. I haven't. I don't know what to call it, though. I have no idea what to call that move. Well, coming out of that match, we get a big one. The return of Mr. Olympia versus Matt Bourne from the Rat Pack, one half of the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions, with Rick Ferreira as the referee. Bill Watts talks for a little bit about the return of Mr. Olympia. And then we get a little bit of audio about something that was teased previously on Mid-South Wrestling. What Bill Watts calls a chink in the armor of the Rat Pack. Let's hear this. He's in there against a good athlete. Matt Bourne, a very cocky individual, an upbeat, low-key type member of the Rat Pack. 
Everybody remember that infamous day that Matt Warren arrived when the Hacksaw Dugan had been detained and they made fools of everybody, myself included, even Paul Bosch, that venerable promoter who's seen about everything in wrestling from Houston was here and we were all taken in. Tony Atlas was so taken in, he'd gone out in the crowd and accepted a, a balloon from the gorilla from the Midway. That's just during the state fair here in Shreveport and everybody just thought it was one of the Barkers from the Midway inviting the kids to stick around after it and he got excited and was watching the matches. He was giving away balloons covered head to toe in a gorilla suit when it turned out to be Hacksaw Dugan. But Matt Bourne had been flown in by DiBiase, and they won the Mid-South Tag Team titles and caused the Junkyard Dog to get a 90-day vacation. And they caused Mr. Olympia to get a vacation. So the Rat Pack is certainly a formidable group. I thought I detected a little chink in their armor when Hacksaw Dugan got a little upset with DiBiase on a situation, thinking maybe DiBiase had enlisted the aid of Skandar Akbar. Dugan's got a lot of pride. And he doesn't want any truck with Akbar and his Iranian oil interests, or his, especially after Akbar at one time had the Iron Sheik under his contractual employment, the man who was the Khomeini's bodyguard. And speaking of the Iron Sheik, next week, right here on TV, we'll have a match from Houston, Texas of the Iron Sheik versus one Mr. Wrestling 2. Well, there we hear it, a little bit of audio about the Rat Pack, how they've gotten to this point, and of course, Jim Duggan not really happy about the idea that the Rat Pack could potentially have any involvement with Skandar Akbar, his oil money, and of course the Iron Sheik, who worked for Khomeini, although he actually didn't, he worked for the Shah of Iran in real life. Any thoughts or notes about any of this, Mike? And I should mention, Ted DiBiase does come out, causing the fans to start chanting Teddy Sue at him. But any thoughts or notes about this match? You know, I like the fact that Watts continues to kind of bring it up like, man, I think I saw some, you know, I thought I saw some turmoil in the ranks of the Rat Pack right there. These guys have been close, and DiBiase did the whole gorilla thing, and he helped out, you know, DiBiase and Bourne when he sent JYD home. And and you give Watts credit. He's He's... It's like he doesn't want to let it die, but he's also not saying there is something there. He's just like saying, I wonder if there's a, there's a, there, he, as the words he used, if there's a, a chink in the armor of the Rat Pack. Uh, I did want to say one other thing about this. Watts, at the very beginning of this match, he talks about how, you know, Olympia's returned and he points out that, you know, no one likes an unpaid vacation. So I thought that was a nice nugget to throw out there by Watts. It's not only that Olympia was sent home. He sent home. He's not sent home with money. He's sent home and he can't earn money because now he's sitting at home, you know, presumably. So that means he can't put food on the table. You know, he's basically taking a pay cut. So that makes that loss, in my opinion, more impactful when a guy like that is sent home. So I don't know. That was just I thought that was a nice little touch from Watts on commentary to explain. It's an it's an unpaid vacation. You are sent home without anything. That's a really good point. And of course, now we have Mr. Olympia back. He's having this match with Matt Bourne. Let's go now to some audio of the closing minutes of this match, and then we'll talk about what's going on here. There, a body slam again. Everything is over the injury that he that, that he sustained. There, Matt Bourne goes up for that illegal bombs away. Let's see what Ricky Ferrar says. He's Ricky Ferrar's warning him. So Matt Bourne steps to the second rope, which is illegal but just as devastating. You cannot come off the top rope. Oh, oh. <laughs> Whoa! 
Warren uh, won't be feeling too well after that, I don't believe. And Matt Bourne out to check with Ted DiBiase, and DiBiase trying to get him some time. I'll tell you right now, Matt Bourne is, he is in a lot of pain, and he's trying just to, to, to get anything to, to re-gear himself and re-coordinate, and DiBiase is giving him moral support out there, and they've certainly known, those members of the Rat Pack have been known to give more than moral support. The junkyard dog not here today, who is probably the closest friend of Mr. Olympia, so Mr. Olympia is on his own. DiBiase making a trip right there. You just saw Ricky Farrar. They're still right on going. They're right on going. Oh! The two in the ring just haven't got it settled. Ricky Farrar's call for the fall. And Ricky Farrar, since they kept on, he dropped right on down, and he counted it. He said, if you all want to keep on going, keep on going. And DiBiase just got drop kicked right out of the ring, and Mr. Olympia proves he's back in Mid-South. And listen to that crowd. A tremendous ovation for Mr. Olympia. We still have time. We'll have more action after these words from Mid-South Wrestling Television. Well, there you hear it, Mike. An action-packed closing few minutes of this match. I guess one of the big moments is Matt Bourne goes for the bombs away. Rick Ferrara makes him go to the second rope. He does it anyway from the second rope, but Mr. Olympia lifts his knees and gives him a little bit of a testicular shot there, which causes the crowd to really pop. Any thoughts or notes about this match and the finish of this match? Man, it's hard to explain how really good this finish was because there's so much going on. The entire time, like the first time DiBiase interferes where he grabs Olympia's leg as Olympia's hitting the ropes, you know, Ricky Ferrara, he calls for the bell. He's like, no, 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 this is over. You know, DQ, Olympia wins. And then it's just kind of, it, it gets convoluted, but it's really good if you go back and watch it because Olympia then, I think Matt Bourne tries to roll up Olympia. And in doing so, Matt Bourne is on top of Olympia, but Olympia kicks out. As Olympia kicks out, DiBiase is trying to come through the ropes and Bourne goes head first into DiBiase. So DiBiase takes another bump. Olympia drops an elbow on Bourne and, and then actually pins Bourne. Ricky Ferrara goes, okay, one, two, three. And then as, as Olympia is pinning Bourne, DiBiase rolls back in to drop an elbow on top of Olympia. Olympia rolls out the way. DiBiase hits Bourne with the elbow. And then Olympia drop kicks DiBiase. The crowd's going nuts because Olympia, in a unbelievable fashion, fought off these two guys, two members of the Rat Pack, and they couldn't stay a step ahead of him. He was... He was seven steps ahead of them every single time, he being Olympia. Real good finish, though, man. It was, it was, it was really, really, uh, I don't want to say, it wasn't confusing. It was, it was really complicated in a way, because, but they were all on the same page and doing their thing, and the, and the crowd loved it. So Olympia's back. He gets a nice pop in his first win back, and real good stuff there. Uh, probably should have been the close of the show if you're going to, you know, if we want to be honest. But it wasn't, but it's neither here nor there. Still really good finish with those three guys. Really strong return for Mr. Olympia, and like you said, a lot of moving parts, so a complicated finish that these guys execute really, really well. And coming out of that, we get our last match this week. Marty Lundy, who they call the pride of Rome, Georgia, versus Tim Horner with Alfred Neely as the referee. During this match, Bill Watts recaps the incidents of the previous match, but also 
gives us a little bit about the rules in Mid-South Wrestling. What causes a disqualification? I love when Bill Watts does this kind of thing. Let's hear this right now. Mid-South Wrestling. Off the top rope that Matt Bourne attempted is illegal. You cannot jump off the top rope onto your man. You can come off the second turnbuckle. You cannot run your man's head into the steel post. These are automatic disqualifications. If you intentionally throw your opponent over the top rope, that is a disqualification. That's a judgment call by the referee. In that if you drop kick him and he goes over or something like that, that's not intentionally throwing him over. So oftentimes you'll have decisions that have to be made at split second level by the referee in the ring because it has to be intentionally your intent has to be. You have a 10 count to get back in the ring on the floor. I know in Houston, Texas, for years they had a 20 count. But Mid-South, 10 count on the floor if you're out on the floor to get back in the ring. And that's what is now in force in Houston. You have to break on the count of four. The referee calls for a break. Smart guys can use that to their advantage. They'll break real quick and resecure the same hole. On the ropes, you've got a four count to break. Well, there it is, Mike. Bill Watts giving us a little bit about the actual rules. And I love this, and I also think it's really important because if a wrestling promotion or a wrestling television show doesn't have rules, nothing means anything. If it's the Wild West, then. You need something for the referees to enforce, and also you need something for the heels. You need rules for the heels to be able to break. And I love this kind of thing. I love Bill Watts logically and reasonably explaining what the rules are and why the rules are there. Yeah, and I agree with you. That goes back to the old ECW discussion. Was it really like a was it a net negative on what it did to professional wrestling? I mean, it, it there were things that came out of it, but at the end of the day, if there are no rules to break, how can you really book things that make logical sense? You can still book things because obviously they did it, but over time, you got to have rules to break or else it kind of can make a lot of stuff meaningless that you want to do in the ring with the storytelling and whatnot. I mean, how can a heel be a heel if he's got no rules to break? I mean, he can still heal, but it's not the same because he's not breaking any rules. So I agree with you there. I, I like when Bill Watts does this. He's done this before. You know, he's talked about how referees have leeway and when they decide to call for a DQ and things like that. So good stuff here from Watson and clearing things up and kind of explaining uh, the mindset of, of rules and, and why you have them and, and whatnot. We don't get a finish as television time runs out. And at this point, I want to make a funny little note here. On the WWE Network version of the show, in the notes, like the description of the show, it says, on this edition of Mid-South Wrestling, Marty Lundy and Tim Horner push themselves to the limit when they meet in the main event. That's an interesting rewriting of history that this is the main event. <laughs> That's somebody who was an admin or somebody that was working on the project. <laughs> and they basically have no idea about these two. And they got to the end and was like, oh, they're in the main event. And it goes to a time to the time expires. So they must have pushed themselves to the limit. <laughs> There's no way they watched this and could have typed that out and thought to themselves that was a good idea. So that said, you know, it, Arn Anderson, Marty Lundy, and Tim Horner, they go out there and they work their tail off for the last few minutes, but I wouldn't say they pushed themselves to the limit. No, certainly not. And I know we all joke about Tim Horner, but he's actually quite the worker here. And him and Marty Lundy, and they're together. It is good for what it is, but of course, television time runs out. And because they are undercard guys, the fans aren't totally invested in this. But with that... We close out another week of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. 
Want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. And the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network is on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and Booking the Territory? Give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. I oftentimes post clips from the shows that we're talking about here and different promos or angles or things that happen, finishes of some of the matches when I have time. So check me out there. And then also come listen to Book in the Territory twice per week at tinyurl.com slash bttpod. You can also just search Book in the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. We are everywhere and we do two shows a week. One is our Smoky Mountain Wrestling recaps. Those debut on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. And the other are our NWA Saturday night shows from TBS uh, back in the 80s that debut on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. It's a fun show. We have a great time. We are the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast, as myself, Hardbody Hopper, and Doc Turner. Uh, we're not politically correct, and we do a lot of cursing and swearing, but we still have a great time talking old-school classic wrestling. Brian, another fun show. We've really got some good stuff going on on next week's show, though. I can't wait till next week. Next week is a big one, but until then, the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!